0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Something Pretty Podcast where we talk about Deadwood, the HBO show. My name is Wes and I'm joined by Clay who's buying himself a fucking bums rush. Clay, how are you? What a
1: type you must consort with to not fear beating for such an <laughs> insult.
0: <laughs> Those are the two I had written down that could open and we both chose one. <laughs> and we didn't even talk about it before. What, is, um, what does bum rush mean? Is there like a, an actual meaning to it in in the video game Final Fantasy 6? Mm. One of the characters like super text is called Bum Rush and it just seems it seems like I'm misconstruing what it actually means. Do you know? I I don't know because my understanding
1: of it was always a, like a term used for like some sort of surprise attack. <laughs> Okay, like, you know, like to to <laughs> how bums
0: fight in that in that video. No, like I,
1: I've never. I have never. Is it just uh, you attack from
0: behind? Is that why it's yeah, called a I, bum I, rush? I,
1: I have never um, linked it to any sort of to the homelessness crisis at all. <laughs> have you linked uh, it to
0: the to the to the to the posterior of a person? Is that what you are taking as the bum?
1: Kind of. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really extrapolated it out at all.
0: Mm. It just any uh. I always thought I, it was this, kind of an overwhelming an overwhelming like I got bum I guess it's like a yeah a, a surprise attack that like overwhelms you or something is a bum rush I don't know Not sure
1: Bum Yeah, rush. I don't know. forcible ejection of someone uh, <laughs> Why does Silas- came, in, came in the saloons of late 19th century New York where vagrants and other hungry people attempted to take advantage of the sometimes sumptuous free lunch counters, which were meant for drinkers only. Oh, oh. okay. So basically, they put out food and all the bums rushed to the food. Right,
0: yeah. And I guess it is kind of an overwhelming aspect to it, right? Like you, you go with such force that you can take what you want from it. I guess that yeah. makes sense. What a...
1: What a strange term that! Both I don't think many people use anymore, but also is is pretty uh, derogatory to a certain extent.
0: <laughs> well, I always thought it had a uh, I always thought it had a sexual a sexual aspect to it or something a bum rush. I don't I don't know. It always, it always felt like it was a <laughs> that's your that's your answer to everything a violation of some kind. Well, Silas is not going to give Jerry a bum rush. Uh, that I was thinking of and maybe none of us were thinking of because he says it right to his face that there's going to be a bum rush a bums rush as he says we are here in the Something Pretty podcast to talk about The Horrors Can Come which is the next episode of Deadwood we are going to break it down right after this
2: you're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood And tell you something pretty.
0: This episode is called The Whores Can Come, directed by Greg Feinberg, written by Brian McDonald. It's the 11th episode of Deadwood's second season. In this one, the bodies of dead Chinese whores are burned in town. Bullock works on a coffin for William. Wu solicits Al's help against the San Francisco cocksucker, Lee. Al decides that Hearst's chink boss in that alley ain't to my fucking taste. Trixie visits Alma and apologizes for butting into the widow's affairs. Martha packs her bags. Trixie asks Al if the whores can attend Williams Memorial. Walcott offers to buy the Grand Hotel from Farnham, who is distressed by the offer. Trixie readies the girls for the funeral as Alma talks to Sophia. I know we are as much in the world in our pain as in our happiness, she says. All of Deadwood gathers outside the Bullock house for the funeral service. Martha rushes back into the house to take a last look at William. As Ellsworth carries Sophia up the stairs to the Grand Central, Alma answers yes to that question you've asked me. So here we are.
1: I should have have used... My, my other alternate for when you threw it over to me at the beginning was to mention that you needed to
0: brush your teeth because you had three <laughs> pounds of cock on your breath. <laughs> <laughs> also a good one. Let no one that's turned in a needle try eating the dope or shoving it up theirselves, as I will be checking eyes for signs before we fucking leave. And
2: no being drunk either, Jan.
0: And wash your fucking mouth. You got seven kinds of cock breath. Not a super quotable episode, but there's some zingers that are mixed in yeah. to this one. I don't know if there's like a, uh, there's no sort of scene with a great thematic quote, but there's a lot of just little one-off um, lines that make, that make me laugh in this one.
1: Also, just for, just for clarity's sake, there's two terms. There's bum rush, yeah. which, is, which is a, is a verb. Which is something uh, something is to strike, take, or push one's way in with great force. Right. The bums rush apostrophe s yes, is to be kicked out of an event or place of business. Oh, that's what Ad- mean, that's what
0: Adams was saying. He was, he said yeah, bums you can, rush. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can uh, you can bum rush something, or you can be given the bums rush. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so it makes sense. It's we're learning things. It's like that uh, that Jew harp history lesson yes. that we learned yeah either way it
1: really shines a light on on the homelessness problem in america i think these <laughs> are, to be as much today as it was in the era of deadwood something that needs to be
0: addressed. There, is mayor london what's that what's that woman's name london what's the mayor of san francisco london breed is she going to come up with the bum bums rush act of 2023 or something <laughs> i hope so uh There's a quote here that kind of ties into stuff and is more thematically relevant. Uh, Swearingen has a line that he says to Lee, which is, by God, act civilized, even if you ain't. Uh, So this is kind of an interesting episode. It's a little bit of like a a slowdown one. It's the second to last episode, the penultimate, as we say. Um, Deals with William's funeral and the town sort of working through all of that. And In the background, while William's funeral is the main activity that's taking place a lot of the subplots are working their way towards their conclusions at the end of the season um so what'd you think of this one the horse can come uh i thought it was good um
1: i think this would not be the first episode of deadwood i showed somebody uh because this is the kind of episode where unless you have been watching it from the beginning of the season this is pretty dense and it it is not really um uh what's the word it's not really uh accessible accessible to to someone who who hasn't been watching because it is a lot of um a lot of moving pieces uh building off of stuff that's been happening for five episodes and stuff and so it was it was one where i was i was watching it going like "I'm, i'm enjoying this i'm i like what is how things are moving around and, and how this is playing out, um, but the the text of what's going on, and especially the subtext of what's going on, could be a little bit hard to follow if if you're not kind of uh, up to date with what's going on.
0: yeah would you um i I think the best <clears throat> example, and probably one of my my favorite thing in the episode, I think, is that um, how they're continuing to choose to portray Al. <clears throat> throughout his events, yes. and yeah. he kind of lines up with that, uh, which is that his his actions have a lot of subtext to them, and he 's plotting in a way that he 's been plotting for the entire season he 's kind of doing like political power plays um trying to maintain his position at the top uh, what I think is what I think is interesting is that, like, Al is in a position where he is trying to become the best ally for Hearst when Hearst inevitably arrives, right? So there's not this sense that the show is building up a stridently anti Hearst alliance that is going to, like, have the battle of good versus evil when it arrives. Mm-hmm. It's more that he's trying to position himself in a place where he will be more likely to be ingratiated into Hearst than someone like Cy Tolliver would be. And so there's this interesting thing of like Al is trying to balance all this and he can't do the sort of satisfying narrative act or arc, which would be that he sides with Wu and cleans out Lee's men, right? Like he can't, because Hearst backs Lee, Al cannot just side with Wu and say, like, we're taking our town back right now. Like, this is the way that things are going to go. And I find that a lot of his interactions in the the, the episode itself are him balancing, act, him balancing the needs of being this, like, pragmatist boss man character with his desire to actually fit in and like be a part of this community that's building up so mm-hmm. he's sort of torn between what he needs to do and what he actually wants to do and i think it's a really effective portrayal of where al sits at this point in time and i think the um the writing and the performance is really nice that it shows like both sides of what he wants to be and what he can't be at the same time
2: i see you made it through the fucking night Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, this is going to be a pleasant fucking day, them oh. wailing and gnashing their teeth. Will they be allowed to pay their respects? By who? By you, most importantly, as always.
0: And should you, in your greatness, consent? Will he let them in his fucking house?
2: I won't reject. But it's yours to keep them she-apes from disgracing me. Ask the Bullock's feelings. Get the Jew to find them out.
0: Should I, um, ask about you also?
2: What the fuck would I want to go there for?
1: Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I was happy that <laughs> I was happy that uh, that he broke it down for everybody after the scene with Wu because I I felt like Johnny once again not totally tracking what his his angle was until he was like explained why both both options he had which one made him look better in front of Hearst and stuff like that I was like okay all right I get that. And it's, it's funny because this is the kind of show or I should say, um, a lot of other shows would probably be building to this idea of, oh shit, it's going to be Al versus Hearst. This is going to be crazy. And, and it makes sense that Al isn't about to walk up to him with a gun as much as walk up to him with a, with an open hand, you know, right. because he's his position and how it benefits him. He's, he's a long game guy. We've been talking about that since the beginning. And, uh figuring out how to sidle up to Hearst while not <clears throat> giving away his entire hand is definitely the thing that he would do
0: yeah yeah he's um I, th- I like his his balancing act uh between like he he tells everybody else to go to the funeral but he says that like why the fuck would I want to go to the funeral but he then at the very end whether well, they're having the 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 service or whatever he comes out onto the balcony and tries to see. Yeah, I oh, love that. Going?
1: I thought that was great. I really like that. Um, when he sees them coming back, he he hurries back inside <laughs> to me, so it doesn't look like he's been out there watching the whole time.
0: Yeah, and then comes out yeah. casually again as they as they stroll down. I you know
1: I, I thought maybe one of my favorite scenes because I think it is such a great illustration of of what Al's character is was when Jerry comes into the gem and uh al brushes him back saying like i speak for i speak for uh, bullock and i say that no business is would be done on the day of my son's funeral or something like that and yep. he's very he's very hardlined about that but then he just drops in that thing where he's like if you come back with one more dollar more than 50,000 and jerry's like oh wait so yeah, not a, dollar, not a single dollar.
0: Not a single dollar can convince me of uh your intent or whatever he says. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and he's like, so wait, there's non monetary things, and he's like, I don't do business on this thing. <laughs> and it's like it just, <laughs> because it was such a what what you what we know about Al up to this point is <clears throat> I think there's a bit of truth in what he's saying where he we know that he's not a complete monster and that he does have um some, uh, he—he's not without uh,
0: sympathy. Yeah, he's not—he's f- not Jerry. In other words, but right? Yeah, yeah. He's not
1: without sympathy for for people who are in in pain, and and, and he can relate to that. But at the same time, he's also not going to uh, let a situation go that could be to his advantage. You look, fucking
2: mournful, even more.
3: Sad day, gentlemen. ...on which commerce must intrude. Says who that it must? Because of the death of the sheriff's son. You need to ask, you don't deserve an answer. I should say that even in his hour of grief, Sheriff Bullock conveyed to me his reliance on you as his proxy. And as his proxy,
2: I don't do business on the day of my godson's passing.
3: I'm compelled to wonder, Mr. swearingen, if this show of grief is a pretext to some other purpose.
2: What a type you must consort with, that you not fear beating for such an
3: insult. If Montana, for example, had sweetened the terms in annexing this camp, and you delay the closing of our business not for piety, but to pursue your other negotiations. Leave here with your sick, fucking ghoulish thinking. I'll have further instructions within the day. If not, honor, practicality dictates granting Yankton further counter. You come back here offering one more dollar than that 50, you find yourself face down in the horse shit. But you would entertain enhancement of the offer other than cash.
2: I do not discuss business on this day, Silas buying yourself a fucking bums rush commissioner but mr
3: swearingen says go he means it all right all right i'm not without imagination a counter without currency is in the offing
0: i think uh, another scene that represents that even more because the um the jerry and al scene is more like a performance on al's part right like they're they're trying to they're still trying to play Jerry in a way that they get what they want out of it. So they're going to make, they're going to make Jerry sweat is basically the reason that they're delaying that. It's not that he right, has a sort right. of like highfalutin ideal about we don't talk business. I, I thought a, um, a good example of what you're saying is the when Al goes to talk to Bullock in the first place, his book is carrying the coffin back. Mm-hmm. Because I feel that that gives me, that, that feels like much more of a sincere, I'm really sorry that we have to talk about this right yeah. now. Uh, yeah. sense more than you know when when Jerry goes up to the house and when when Bullock like walks Jerry down the stairs and Jerry's very nervous about like can you confirm that what he said and and Bullock yells at him and he scuttles off um but it, the the scene with swearingen and Bullock is much more of a respectful distance, but I need to tell we need to talk business right now unfortunately so let's get let's get it over with
1: yeah, I like the uh would you mind if I walked twenty paces behind? Yeah,
0: you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He ta- he offers them the uh, the handkerchief to wipe his bloody hand, and, and and Bullock does not accept it. So it's not like they are uh, simpatico or whatever. They're not they're not completely on the same plane of thought about what is important to do at this very moment. Obviously, yeah. because Bullock's dealing with the death of the of William, but it is still accomplishes the goal that they needed to be done. And yeah.
1: a lot, you know, a lot's changed between them since the. F- the first season because i think al very easily could have used that opportunity to dig in on him and you know fire some barbs at him just for mm. the sake of doing it but clearly there's a, a respect there now even if they don't necessarily like each other
0: yeah yeah that's a good point point. and uh I, I think that al um the the other they bring back like the uh, the blowjob monologues have uh, come back yeah. in this one towards yes. the end and and what it does here again is what it the usually lasting, does what's the lasting leg- the lasting legacy, legacy of Ricky Jay <laughs> the um what it does here is that it shows uh Al uses it as an excuse to well basically the show uses that as an excuse to or an example of how to show Al which is that he's between these two worlds which is that he he confides in the girl who's going down on him that like the the funeral and everything has gotten him upset because it reminds him of when his adopted brother died and his adoptive father beat him to take out his mm-hmm. anger on him and uh so he's connecting on that he's trying to he's sort of like talking but not really in a conversation with anybody and then it just ends with like he's he's being mean to her in the way that he usually is, but it just ends with like this sort of innocent question about like do you dye your hair, which I think is very funny. I, that was hilarious. <laughs> like the, the 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 point at which
1: not only the delivery but the point at which they cut after he says it was yeah. a plus.
0: <laughs> And it's just a, it's a nice scene that just shows that like Al, Al is trying to sort of like be a a connection to people, right? Like he's trying to sort of be a part of a community and he's trying to open up and share things about himself, but he's still just the kind of the pimp Lothario character that's running Mm -hmm. the town. And it's this, the, the two sides of him colliding there, I think are pretty effective in that uh, blowjob monologue scene. I, I I like that. I just think that he's really, um, he's pretty isolated in some ways. Like he's actually a, definitely. Yeah. He's, he's a fairly effective politician, in some ways and that like he doesn't really he does a very good job of keeping his personal and his goals separate from each other Mm. and in that way he seems like he's he's a better politician than someone like jerry would be um and i i just think that that's an interesting side effect of him like he's kind of the ideal politician and that he's relentless and focused and somewhat ruthless but he's also not overly he's pragmatic at the same time he's not particularly ideological or anything yeah and
1: the thing that makes those uh blowjob monologues so sad is it it gets it's funny because like the first one the first one was was very much uh you know just a a crescendo to the episode kind of thing yeah the second one i was like okay i was are we gonna do this every time he we need al to talk about something this is Feels like it's doing this for the sake of doing it, but on this one, I was it was the first time where I was like, "Oh, this actually works pretty well," solely because Al is so alone. Al has no one to talk to. Yeah, and so the only way he can manage to try to be close to someone is in this weird, fucked up power way. Like, it, it, I I don't even know if he would talk this way to Trixie. Right, and if he did, he doesn't anymore. And like, there's there's no one else who is even remotely as close to it. Like that's why he's talking to the severed head. You know, he's yes. got nobody yeah. to talk to.
0: Yep. No, uh, that's exactly it. He is just uh, alone on his island there, and he certainly doesn't talk to Trixie about personal things like that. Yeah. Like he doesn't he doesn't reveal his own personal secrets or his own um, experiences to anybody else. It just seems. I think the girl's name is Dolly. Uh, Dolly like is the one who actually gets uh, this side of Al. Um, he's got a he's got kind of a
1: um, Daniel Plainview element about him.
0: Oh, you think so? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> does, in, in yeah. that he's,
1: <laughs> you know, in that he's always looking for the next rung on the ladder to grab regarding yeah. you know, he's Plainview was never a, open at all,
0: right? To remind misremembering. Plane? No. Plain the view only time he was open
1: up. Yeah, the only time Plainview is open when he, is when he opens up to the guy who pretends to be his brother before he kills him.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there is, there is kind of a similar um, thing there. It, it is kind of a separation of like your... Emo- He's the, the opposite of Bullock, right? Like Bullock can't do anything but be emotional and respond yeah. badly to his emotions and take everything into emotion and say everything through clenched uh, teeth whenever the situation mm. arises, but Swearingen's not the same.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny because it's one of those things too where it's like I feel like if given the opportunity, if there were no um, extenuating circumstances, I bet Al and Seth would probably be friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got that kind of um, that kind of thing where you see like a retired cop and a retired criminal who used You're to. Right. <laughs> to 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 spar it's with heat. each other like 30 years ago now yeah. they like go out for drinks all the time and just like talk about bullshit that they yeah. used to go like it's that kind of thing right i feel like if it, if it wasn't for the um the the things they were unfortunately tasked with 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 doing they actually probably would would get along and, and and have a good time together
0: i guess in contrast to uh the people getting along what do you one of my favorite scenes in this and I don't know if it's been done well, but I think that it's interesting is that I love the uh the scene towards the end of this one which features Tolliver, Walcott, and Jerry talking to each other in mm-hmm. the Bella Union. And like the fraying of their relationship, I think, has been really well done. Um, none of them can really stand each other by this point. But I, I really like um you had talked about like character, like one of your favorite things is characters who's like kind of the the shifty ally basically or the the one yeah. that you can't hundred percent be trust. I really like um, antagonists who are in a group who are antagonistic towards each other. I think is a strong <laughs> a strong <laughs> yeah. thing to do, um, and I, I like the scenes here. Like we, we talked about it in a previous podcast, Walcott has kind of become a little bit less relevant to the plot that's going on, but I think that. He it kind of makes sense because all of them are becoming less important, which is what Walcott actually makes like literal in this one. He says it to Tolliver. He says, You're becoming desperate. Um, mm. you can feel your position slipping away from you. And I, I feel that while maybe the, those three haven't had as much to do in the past couple episodes, it is just the fact that their grasp on the situation is falling apart from them and they're really just waiting on Hearst to arrive because they've kind of like. For a sports analogy, they've run up the score, but the other team is coming back and they're just trying to run the clock out until the game ends. And they're not, right. you know, and when teams do that in sports, they usually start playing badly because they're not keeping the intensity up and things like that. Right. Yeah. I feel that's what hap- that's what's happening with these three.
1: And then sometimes, if you're the Atlanta Falcons,
0: you really blow it pretty well. <laughs> well, Tom Brady makes his appearance I- in season three of Deadwood as... Uh, yeah. <laughs> as, as <laughs> and as
1: as spectacular as anyone has ever blown anything.
0: <laughs> Except for Dolly in this episode. Yes. yes. <laughs> What'd you think of Tolliver and Walcott and uh, Mr. Jerry?
2: Seems to me, Walcott, last year I had that unsettled look. Matters got grave for some young girls. What does it? Do you know? Or does the water just come on you quick? Be ye afraid of the sword. Jesus
4: For fucking Christ! Bring it the punishment, Get of the, him sword. the fuck out of
3: here! You're a desperate man, aren't you, Tolliver? Desperate. You feel your position weakening.
2: And what I do situation like that instead of murdering helpless women, i get on my hind legs and fight. Mr. Walcott!
3: I have nourished a suspicion that we might pass each other in the telegraph office. I, of course, would be communicating with Yankton. I wonder, would your messages be sent to Helena? Mr. Hurst is not a partisan in territorial rivalries, Commissioner. Oh, God. I want to believe that. The great man himself will allay your doubts. He joins us within the week.
1: Yeah, I like that. I I liked seeing... uh, Because, I mean, their alliance is one that is just by its nature, uh, eventually going to blow up because uh, Walcott is is at the service of Hearst and Jerry is at the service of uh, Yankton directly yeah. and Tolliver is at the service of himself. Um, <clears throat> so they're all eventually... Them fraying and kind of pulling in their own respective directions makes makes perfect sense. I was also thinking, like, if... I don't I don't be gr- I don't know how banking works but uh especially in the 1800s. Yeah. But uh I I would be mad at Jerry too if he rolled up to my place of business and was like I'd like to catch this $50,000 check. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can you just do that? <laughs> it's they deal with um surprising amounts of money in this show that like you you know um because Farnham is offered to buy the hotel in this one too, but it or or to sell his hotel, but they they frequently deal with large amounts of money that I feel the characters don't properly react to in some way, like what is so let's say fifty thousand dollars in eighteen seventy seven
1: It's at least a hundred right
0: let's see this is so it's it's two million dollars holy shit, okay, yeah, yeah. all right. Jesus, so, I mean, maybe Tolliver has that kind of cash, and uh, from what I was reading historically, like the gem used to pull in absurd amounts of money every day, um, really? yeah. so I mean maybe maybe that doesn't seem all that particularly crazy, but you know they they talk about large sums of money as if it was uh nothing, like what did Mose sell his claim for? Do you remember oh, I don't remember I don't no. remember what it was either, but so
1: i uh, how does I guess I've never thought about how cashing a check actually works. So, mm-hmm. like, if it does does Cy in that instance, he gives him fifty thousand dollars, and then uh, the bank, Hearst's bank, like wires him the money to recoup. Is that yeah. how it works? Yeah, I okay. would imagine. Okay. Or
0: right. they'd they'd have to. The banks would do the business for you, I guess. At that point, they were yeah. probably doing that. Like you, you get to give it into the bank, and the bank owns your note worth that amount, and they can go cash it with Hearst's bank. Somewhere yeah, down it's the all, line. It's,
1: Money's money's fake. It's all it doesn't matter.
0: It's uh in a pre-digital world it all seems obviously very slow and clunky, but yeah. I don't know. It would be, be more difficult. And
1: it's gone. And it's gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean imagine how much money they probably lost just from like ledgers being lost and things. Oh sure. You know, there's yeah. no like digital record. It's just just gone. If the uh, <coughs> if the hardware store catches on fire, almost bank is out of luck. Is that a <laughs> Is that a uh, uh, foreshadowing of something that happens in the next season? <laughs> <laughs> the passion, the passion of Bullock sets that house of, of hammers ablaze. Unfortunately, um, no. In this one, instead, just the Chinese horse gets set ablaze, um, mm. which is something that's been going on in the background and that the rest of the town is not particularly down with. You I know, find it interesting I, they don't have Wu subtitled in this one. When the when the uh, Chinese actors talk to each other, they don't yeah. subtitle it. I was wondering if they were going to but I don't really think you need
1: it. I think no. he kind of his performance is good enough that you you get the idea yeah, you get the
0: you get the idea that he's upset. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like you you watch him talk to Engine and you're like, "Okay, I don't
0: understand him, but I kind of understand him." Yep. Um although the one thing I don't understand, why was he giving him the china plate? Was that a gift?
1: No, I think I, I think it was just I, it was i think it was just um, the only thing he had with a map of china on it and oh. he was trying to show him like where the guy came
0: from or something. Do you think Al was correct in that he won? Like, does Wu actually... Because I I always thought that Swearing is kind of making fun of him when he's saying, like, the bones of your ancestors have to be buried in your spiritual homeland for your spirits to rest. You know, he says something like that, but he can't possibly mm-hmm. be talking about that because Wu is much more pragmatic, I think. I don't, I don't... No, I think he's just... He's just...
1: I think in that moment, Al is not understanding what he's trying to tell him.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just... I didn't track the... I thought it was... I, I was wondering if it was a gift that he was trying to give, but I, it doesn't seem that way with the way that the conversation concludes.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think it was just, <laughs> I think it's just the only thing that he owns that has, he's <laughs> no, trying to show China. him like, gotcha. I don't know if he's trying yeah. to show him where Lee comes from or where the girls come from or something. Yeah. But there's some, he, he found it necessary to show that whoever he was talking about comes from this section of china and the only <laughs> thing he had with a map on it <laughs> was this plate china some fine china yeah there you go yeah I you mean, know he's trying that to- reminds me of something good a couple friends of mine went to china for vacation a couple years ago mm-hmm. and uh brought us back some souvenirs right and uh, the th- they, uh which was very nice they didn't have to do that and for some reason i immediately flipped it over to see if it was made in china because in america that's a mark of like oh well you know that's kind of cheap but if you right if you bring back a souvenir from china that still has that it's not it's not a different item it would be the same item that you bought in america but you bought it in china and the bottom says made in china does that now make it like more unique and like
0: authentic <laughs> because the chinese kept it for themselves and then they yes. you bought it from them. yes it would probably say made in Taiwan or something on it or Vietnam. Well no,
1: this one this one did specifically say made in China on it. No. So I don't know. Is that like is that more authentic than the <laughs> that the, the <laughs> that the I Love New York hat that you bought in <laughs> Shanghai <laughs> was made in
0: China versus the one that you bought in New York? That's <laughs> it might be. I, I would I would consider it people would You'd have to tell the whole story about how you went to China to get this thing that was made in China. When it's it's quite easy to get them over here, unfortunately. No, right. well, did you mention what it was? Was it anything? Was it just like a knickknack, or was it something like? Yeah, it was like it was like
1: a it was like a, a Chinese style like brush.
0: Gotcha. No, I don't know. Does yeah, China know. come from China?
1: The term, like the the like, plates, the fancy yeah. Plates. To refer, I think yes, I think that term does originate. Hmm in China. I I have no idea.
0: Do you have any China?
1: Any fine China? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Our finest China is from Pier One.
0: We have, my in-laws gave us China and it's like, it's, you know, it's the standard stock complaint, but it's like our generation has no use for this shit and it's just cluttering up the cabinet. So I, every opportunity we have some trash throw out day, I'm like, Amy, we got to throw this plates with acorns on them or whatever. These, these things got to go. Got to go and she always feels bad. She's her mother will be upset. You, you got to put you, you got to stand them up
1: and you got to show them off. It's like China China is like action figures for for the, yeah, previous, the boomer for really. the 19th century. Yeah. Because like my house the house that we have is a Victorian and so it's I think it's at this point over 100 years old and it has um, those those little things that run along the top of the the walls. I think they're called like china uh, ledges or chi- china uh, shelves. Yeah. And the point the point was you were supposed to put your plates up there and display your plates. Right. And now, Frankenstein, Wolverine, and Batman are up.
0: <laughs> broken plates down below, action figures up high. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's uh. I want to, I want to get rid of them, but you know, Amy says that they're personal. Her mother would be offended. It was like, well, your mother wouldn't have given them to us if she cared about them so deeply.
1: Do so. you think? Do you think that in the 1800s there are people are like? You took that China out of the box. You know, it's a lot more. It's worth a lot more if you keep it in the
0: box. Well, that's, that's why I thought it was a gift. Because maybe, yeah. at the, you know, we're giving Al an actual old China dish is like, this is like, you know, one of China's greatest exports or something. At I, this don't, point.
1: I don't think so. That's not how I read that scene. Yeah,
0: I agree with you. I don't think it is. Yeah. But I thought, I don't know. But I, I don't know. I, it, it was just, I couldn't. Because he drew everything else, right? Like he drew pictures right, of the girls yeah. being burned. He drew a picture of the San Francisco cocksucker. I didn't really understand why he couldn't just draw China on a map or something. But.
1: West, have you tried to draw China? <laughs> it's just it's, if you've got something that already has China drawn on it, you're not. That's just wasted calories if you're trying to draw China. Draw a boat
0: or something. How did they get across? They 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 did something. I don't know. Um, Lee and Wu. I was trying to tone the two of them down uh, with each other. He does that by effectively, you know, part of the reason that he doesn't back Woo is because he's trying to slow roll the situation. So he tells Wu he's not going to back him, which he thinks will slow Wu down from doing some sort of violent act against Lee. And then mm-hmm. he calls Lee in and says, like, listen to me, asshole. Like, we're, we're civilized people over here and we don't go uh, killing people when children have been murdered. So take a rest for a day. Uh, but they're ultimately the same aim.
2: Why don't I back him? Because Hearst is in the other chink's corner. Meaning Wu has to lose. Wouldn't be the worst thing. Backing a loser to Hearst, Let him pick me up from the canvas after. Dust me the fuck off. I raise the great man's hand. Murmur best as i can through split lips your man beat my man's balls off mr hurst but hurst chink boss in that alley ain't to my fucking taste.
1: to be fair to lee that's not in the handbook when you come to America. That you don't burn prostitutes on days where children are being buried.
0: <laughs> it's kind of a deep cultural cut. It's it's not <laughs> something that you immediately pick up. Well,
1: yeah, I don't. Um, it's more of a it's more of a it's more of a uh, upstate New York thing.
0: I I know it's the disrespect of doing it, but why not just bury them? Really, isn't that seem easy? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
1: I was I, I, I wasn't sure about that either. You know, it's funny. I uh, <clears throat> I in my memory of this show from the the previous time I had watched it, I remembered Wu and the the uh, Chinatown stuff being a lot more prevalent than it actually is. Oh, okay. I remember there being a lot
0: more of it, and I'm not really sure why. Yeah, and we're definitely past your point of what you've seen to this. Oh, point. definitely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely past that. No, he's not. Um, he's not super prominent. He's he's kind of like all the like we haven't seen Charlie Utter in a couple episodes either. Oh, some, yeah, the characters just coming go. Him. Um, what else do you think about this? What did, you, what did you think of the funeral sequence and stuff? My my my, I think that uh, Oliphant and Anna Gunn do a great job of being the grieving parents. I, I like all that scenes and sequences. One of my, one of the the show do, doing another interesting thing, which is why I, I like Deadwood so much, is that it refuses to give you 100% emotional emotional catharsis, right? Like, there's yeah. there's the stuff where Utter beats Walcott in the street, which is nice, but then it all is going to blow back. Like, you can't uh, attack Hearst's man. There's all these kind of implications to it. There have been other scenes like that where, um, you know, like a Bullock beating the shit out of Alma's father. It seems like a cathartic moment, but it ultimately blows back in his face there, too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing here where you're expecting... And it is, it's like this very emotional funeral service for a kid who's been murdered. But the show is clearly saying that Andy Cramed is not a good reverend at this point. Yes. And he's like <laughs> terrible at it. And he's kind of ruining the service. But it, I, And I understand that the show thematically is kind of saying like the bonds of community and the sort of meaningfulness and the emotion that's put into this scene is much more of a personal thing than it is this institutional church expectation. And like the institution of the church is there supposedly to provide comfort. But all it ends up doing is like the institution comes and says like, what's everybody's favorite Bible passage and no one can name anything, you know? So there's this like, they don't want to, the connection in the real problem and the real sense of like belonging is deeper than what Cramed is. But I think in a different show, that sermon would have been like a, like a balls to the wall, like tearjerker. Of a speech, and it's not that, which I think is an interesting contrast and something Deadwood does all the time.
1: Yeah, and I really, I again, it's something they play so subtly, and you, you, it, you, it, it's subtle enough that it puts you in the same state of of kind of awkward, not really knowing if this is good or bad. Yes. When he starts (laughs) doing the 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 actual ceremony, and the passage he chose to read is basically like a Garth Marenghi quote.
0: Yeah, the worms are going to devour your eyeballs.
1: (laughs) Jesus stared in disbelief as his hands fell off. (laughs) From them rose millions of tiny maggots. Maggots, maggots, maggots. (laughs) All over the floor of the post office.
0: (laughs) It is just So saith the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Crane doesn't... um He's awkward at trying to figure out how to do it, which is understandable. Like they, they kind of layer that too because it's not. You imagine that all conversations about bearing a child probably don't go smoothly, but mm. once it's all said and done, you realize that he's actually quite bad at it. Um, he falls into the water when the service is going on. He picks a terrible passage that upsets the mother of the deceased.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I was. I he starts off with the. Uh is it psalm 23 is that what it is the uh though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death that kind of thing whatever Mm -hmm. it was but apparently people stop before they get to the maggots (laughs) (laughs) generally when they're reading that at a funeral
0: (laughs) (laughs) and it just kind of goes on and on I'll, i'll wrap it up here
4: william bullock beloved son of martha and seth called to God age 11 years as we are called by his passing. Let us bow our heads. From Psalm number 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh, that my words were now written, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, Yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold.
0: Yeah, and you know his his act is I don't know if his his badness at being a reverend is a statement of the show of that crammed is just trying to find his own way. And I I, like I I do believe that Cramed is a believer. But he's bad enough at it that, like, Cy Tolliver can't believe he's not running a con in the town when he yeah. has this conversation with him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I um, <clears throat> I, it, I, it's clear to me that this is the first time he's ever done this. Mm-hmm. You know, because, as we were talking about last episode, it's like, well, it's, it's, he's only been gone for like a year and now he's coming back as like purporting to be a, a full fledged minister. And how much could he really be have done this in in that amount of time, and of course you know he 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 injects himself into the situation because he thinks he should, yeah. but he clearly has never done this before um, and which which makes that scene that much more or the scene with with the bullocks that much more funny 's not the word, but you know they 're relying on him to pick an appropriate thing, and he 's relying on them to yeah. pick an appropriate thing, and so right. they just end up kind of. You know, in the middle. But, yeah, the, so does Ty, does side uh, grab him by the balls he in that does, scene? He does, which is that okay.
0: reference to it's just an expression. It's like got him by the balls, which uh, Silas said. When they had that confusion about put woo on ice and they explained that yes. it doesn't literally mean it and Silas says it's, it's an expression, like got him by the balls.
1: I'm uh, I'm curious to see how much more interaction Tolliver and Cramed have because it. I also am not totally sure what Cramed's angle is if he's legit or what yep um do you think he's actually
0: running a game
1: i i don't think so i i I feel like you don't i feel like you don't inject yourself into the the funeral service of a small child in front of the entire town if well maybe you do i don't know it's a ballsy, yeah, ballsy yeah it's a ballsy play um my my first instinct is no, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I'm wrong. Yeah. I, that that doesn't mean that
0: I'm right. We'll see. They uh, they resolve things in the coming episode. Um, yeah, and outside of that, the the other parts of the funeral, I, I like the um, yeah, it's another scene of the community coming together to attend William's funeral. They get the mm-hmm. uh, Martha comes around to letting the kid, the letting everybody come into the house to see the, to view the body. That, I also thought that was a weird cramed choice. He's like, everyone can go in and look at the corpse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That's a, the wrong word to use, Reverend. Um, and also just Our, the last one about cramed is that the actor, I think, does a great job of not speaking well in delivering that eulogy. You know, like there's a... He is not a Martin Luther King black gospel leader. You know, like right. he is not delivering the, the sermon of a lifetime up there. It is a real... really it's acting like he's the first time he's read the the verse or something. Like he's kind of stumbling through it. And uh, I found it was effective and interesting and kind of the, uh, like the comedy of the situation is compounded on top of everything.
1: Yeah. I thought, um, I thought Anna Gunn was really, was really good in that scene. I mean, she's really good in the whole episode. I, I think the, the way that they portray the Bullock's dealing with this was really, um, unique and 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 well done in that there is a certain sense of denial that they are putting themselves in um until that moment where where she rushes in and 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 kind of it all it all kind of hits her in that moment as to what's going on and and why you why people should be given the option to to pay their last respects and stuff and it's you know it's it's a it's a strange funerals are weird yeah you know you, you never kind of you don't really think about them outside of the time that you're at them and they do have differing um they mean different things to different people i guess and uh, in terms I, I of the people
0: it, at the funeral, you mean like they're, they're, yeah, th- that's well, always for, the thing that's strange to me is that the like the there's a huge emotional gulf between the bullocks and random guy who's in the yes. town, you know.
1: Yeah. And and that emotional gulf is is something that is uh, you kind of have to consider with, with, with your funeral. That's kind of the, the point that they get to is like this. There's a the 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 people of the town seem like they they need closure as much as as the family does yeah and uh yeah
0: yeah it's, it's a statement on the um what uh reverend smith in the first season they are all parts of the body um that if they don't work in unison then it doesn't work and it is metaphorically it is just more of like the town needs to heal as much as the bullocks themselves do um yeah, and there's
1: nobody. I mean, obviously they don't fo- focus in on anybody enough to really do anything with this. But yeah. there's nobody who seems like they're there to gawk or anything. You know, right. it, it yeah. seems like everybody who's there is is legitimately there to to pay respects and, and feel awful. And I and yeah, I yeah, that they I, want I to really,
0: go too. Like even Johnny right. is like that. They they want and not for nefarious like spying purposes. They actually want to go to the Sith the service. Right,
1: and I I really. Uh, I really liked the um, the argument about the boots. Yes, yeah.
0: <laughs> the boots, uh, the bird, and what is Trixie uh, spilling whiskey outside the yeah, door? Yeah, so I, I didn't evil.
1: understand the whiskey thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if that was to repel evil spirits e- or something. Evil spirits, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah.
0: they're all, just, I, I, they're, yeah, they're all, um, they're all coming up with their own sort of idiosyncratic. Uh, superstition and none of the others believe in the superstition of the others they all have their own superstitions that they believe in
1: yeah and i i I do i really like it when when they have these moments where the where the whole town actually does something actually does affect the entire town i i think it's uh it it um it, it brings it brings all the disparate characters together in a way that i think um really bolsters the show as a whole as like this is the this is a story about Deadwood, not just Seth Bullock or not just Al Swearingen, you know?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, and I um you you mentioned it sort of offhand earlier, but I think that the like the, the selfishness of Tolliver, Walcott, and Jerry is the reason that they can't unite with each other. Like they they mm. do not have a common purpose between those three right. outside of um basically trying to get one over on the town, but their their own individual drives are all different, where Tolliver's doing it for himself. Jerry's doing it for Yankton and then Walcott is doing it for Hearst. And there is no um, community building in the way that the funeral seems to build things or like create a sense of uh, unity amongst the rest of the town. Like fittingly, Tolliver does not attend the funeral, you know, like it's that kind of Oh, yeah, no, he's a shithead. Yeah, Tolliver wouldn't go. Um, But he's getting more and more frustrated, obviously, as time goes along.
1: His reaction would be the same as al's except he would be authentic
0: yes he would, he would not he actually would not understand why he should go to the funeral right yeah. yeah um i'm just looking through my my notes here any of the other conversations that we had we had um i liked
1: uh i i like the scene with with jane having to take a bath yes yeah she brings up a good it, point about the dirty water that's true. Yeah, that's why people take showers.
0: Yes.
3: Right.
1: <laughs> um, are, are, they, are they angling towards some sort of relationship with the two of them? Uh, we'll see. Uh, okay. We'll see. The other thing I was thinking was, are they angling towards turning the Belly Union? No, not the Belly Union. Chez
0: into like a hospital? Um, they are going to change it into something. Yes. Okay. So it is. It does become reborn in the same way that uh, Mo's manual is going to be reborn too when he when he wakes up. Um. Uh, the the Bla- I'm just looking at my nose. Blazinoff passes out all the telegrams. Blaznoff and Farnham have a funny conversation. <laughs> He's yeah, like, Blaznoff, you don't need to come in here yelling and waking everybody up and shouting at people who have guns and might shoot you. He's like, just give me your telegraphs and I'll put them in the mailbox. He says, I can't do that. Mr. Farnum. Uh, and then Farnum is also proposed to by Walcott to sell the hotel, which I think is a fun scene. I Walcott's impatient with Farnum is very funny to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he really just he really hates Farnum, uh as everybody hates Farnum, but um uh, some of Farnum's best uh he's overly concerned in pretending to be cool. He's got he's just his like he asked him if he's got a chill, and "Like he's like, if the solution does not present itself in ten minutes, I have suffered a mortal injury on my way." <laughs> on my way that to- <laughs> was, I gotta say,
1: a- of as far as excuses to weasel your way out of a conversation go, a plus, a <laughs> plus from Eb Farnham.
3: What price will you take for your hotel, Mister Farnham? Why do you ask? Because I want to buy it. Do you, sir? I presume, as agent for other parties. Presume away. Is it warm in here? To me, it seems chilly. Chilly, is it? (laughs) Richardson, Mr. Wolcott finds it chilly. Not around. I'll see to it, sir. If you are chilly in ten minutes' time, pray for my immortal soul, because some fatal mishap will have befallen me. Short of I will not fail to dispel the chill now afflicting you. <laughs> Cocksuckers I think they can take away everything. Oh, cocksucker.
0: <sighs> yep, he's trying to sell uh, the hotel. So and- I, I, I thought that in pre- there was a
1: previous episode where he had wanted to entertain an offer on the. Or, there or was is- that.
0: But it's. I think it's more the implication is that Hearst is not some... Hearst, a Hearst deal is kind of like a mob deal. It's like they're, sure. they're offering okay. you something, yeah. but it's not really what you want to take. Right, right. So that's. I think that's why Farnham's concerned about it because uh, he stands to make a lot of money on this uh, if he sells it. So I, I assume that's what the problem is. Because um, Farnham, when he freaks out, he has some line about like, these cocksuckers are taking everything from us, which I think is a legit... Um, Farnham reaction. It also kind of sums up what Hearst has been doing in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's one other scene that I'm missing out on. Jerry, we talked to the Bullocks, uh, Swearingen, Martha. No, I guess is not. The, is Seth. the
1: final scene Seth appealing to her to stay? Yes. She's, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right.
0: She has the, um, One of the reviews I was reading just made a uh, made the point that Cramed is terrible at it, but Alma actually gives to Sophia the eulogy that was deserving of William there, Mm. which is like the uh, sums up the whole town, which is her point. I can't quote it accurately, but put the clip in. Is that like in our we live in this life in our in both our pain and our happiness? Um, And would you share your sorrow with me? Uh, Which is what she gets Sophia to sort of bond with her and hug about, but. Um, Bullock at the end with Martha has a similar line, which is like it's something about like as we are now um, just to maintain where we are. And because Martha's been threatening to leave the entire episode, right? She's packed her bags right, right. and things like that. So he's, he's just pleading with her to stay.
1: And, you know, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun as far as what happens in the next season, but I am legitimately surprised that they seem to have just straight up dropped – the Bullock and Alma stuff.
0: No, Okay.
1: Yep. I mean, I, maybe as she gets more pregnant, that becomes another uh, more of a thing. I don't know, but I've been, that's another thing where I feel like on another show, that would be a constant thing that they were fucking around with.
0: Well, they are doing something that'll make that easier to get around. Right. Which they say in this episode. So she gives her answer of yes to Ellsworth to the marriage Mm -hmm. proposal. Um, did you have any thoughts about that? Were, were you surprised? Because I think I remember when this first came up, you seemed a little bit incredulous that they would actually get married. It seemed more like it was like a joke thing that the show was doing or like an option that was being presented seriously but wasn't actually going to pan out this way. Well, I... I, I
1: Honestly, I don't remember. You have to refer to the tape on that one. But yeah, I, yeah. I think, I, think I was... You didn't say anything specific.
0: It was just... You just kind of like... You know, there's obviously the jokes about like, like he's way out of her league and stuff like that. And it just, it made it seem like it was more of a, a thing he was doing to save face and it wasn't something she was going to take him up on. Well,
1: I, I think, I think my thought was that was her viewpoint on it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, cause, cause he is kind of taking a big, he's taking a huge swing there, right? Yep. Um, and it's, it's putting her in a, in a weird position given that, and she's the kind of person who I'm sure took into account the optics of it in, yeah. in how silly it might look for her.
0: Well, although he's doing it more for her than oh, she definitely. is for him. Yeah. Right. Because oh, like, it, yeah. it spares the embarrassments of the pregnancy and things yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. yeah. He's definitely it's he's definitely doing it for, for her. Well, I mean, I'm sure he's going to benefit monetarily or something, yeah. but I, he's 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 not doing
0: it for nefarious reasons. Right. Uh, it's a very short scene between those two but I, I like it
1: yeah i was i was surprised it was so so short he doesn't even really he just kind of like smirks a bit and that's yeah. kind of the end of it, which he, is you know I he doesn't say
0: anything back She just says yes um but that will be there it's not a spoiler but the the season finale is heavily built around their wedding so oh okay yeah
1: i definitely did not see that
0: yeah um so are they d-
1: does are alma and bullock is that's just not a thing anymore like do they they'll back deal to with that it. at
0: all they'll deal with it next episode subtly but they do deal with it
1: but like but like it's not like next season is they're secretly on the slide screwing. no
0: no okay it's pretty much over I, that's
1: that's the thing that surprises me a bit is that that's it's when it, when it was over, it was pretty much just over. Oh, like they're it not having like, like an
0: undercover affair or anything right. like that on the side. Yeah, yeah,
1: it seems like the kind of thing that would, for most other shows, would be too juicy to let go.
0: No, yeah, the, the marriage basically seals the deal about what the reality mm-hmm. of the situation is at that point, right? Because sure. like, as, as we're building towards it, the Bullock's being united in this way and Alma being united with Ellsworth is like a sort of bookends on the whole right. the situation. Yeah. Um anything else any other scenes in this one it's kind of a low-key episode off. it's not something that um i wouldn't say it's one of my favorite episodes and it's definitely one that's much more low energy going into the finale mm-hmm. but um i thought it was good i don't know if you have any other scenes that you wanted to mention or anything else that you wanted to bring up not that i can think of
1: it's it's a very utilitarian episode like it's it's kind of it, outside of the outside of the the um funeral it is kind of just stringing some some threads along um but i don't find it to be a, a, a difficult watch or anything i think i think they continue to do that stuff in ways that's that's pretty engaging
0: yeah it's uh one of the um one of the actors who's in the next scene uh next season brought up a good point that I thought was kind of interesting, although I, I'm not a literary buff enough to know it and I don't have the Deadwood Bible at hand to read it. But he was saying that um, him and Milch bonded over uh, their love of Faulkner. They were both like English lit kids. I think, I think Milch went mm-hmm. to like Yale for poetry and stuff like that. Um, and they bonded over their love of William Faulkner. And I don't know Faulkner enough to know this, but when the guy said it, it sounded like he knew what he was talking about and it sounded correct, which is that uh, he thought that David Milch was actually kind of writes like Faulkner and that uh, Faulkner apparently can be somewhat difficult to understand while you're reading it. And it feels like it doesn't quite make sense what's going on. But by the end of the book, you kind of get what's happened and everything. Yeah. Yeah, And Milch is kind of the same. And I see it most in his plotting stuff where he has these... There are these conversations that i can't really understand what the characters are like trying to do in a technical sense like why they're saying these things or what they're doing but by the end of it you just have a general sense of like how the characters are more than anything it's less about the specific details of things and more just about like I get it once it's all over. Like where, when all the pieces are, have been knocked over and all the characters are done and some are left standing, I understand why those characters did the thing that they chose to do, even if I don't understand why they did them the way that they did them during the course of the episode.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how I feel with Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, most most times, anytime I watch like a, a Shakespeare play, I'm like, I don't know exactly what they're saying, but I get it.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's you know, good, I, yeah. I
1: understand what's going on. But I'm not exactly sure of the of the exact ins and outs of exactly what they're saying and and what right yeah <clears throat> that, uh, that uh milch should have got one of those uh done one of those q and a's at like a college remember that remember that interview um with Patrick McGowan we watched yes. yeah. after the prisoner <laughs> yeah where like that those, all those college English majors were like <laughs> <laughs> I, I i noticed your use of the uh uh the dwarf character echoes that of the uh literary non-epic and i was wondering how and he's just like hey man it's about resigning and i think i think computers <laughs> <about> are scary <laughs> this is about resigning
0: no that's uh cuz it was the same there was like the wire writers did the same thing in bunch, in front of a bunch of like english lit kids and they were mm-hmm. um they were just you know spoilers for the wire but they were blown away that um One of the writers came up with the idea about, you know, in season three with uh, Avon and Stringer when they betray each other and -hmm. they're aware that they're betraying each other, but they're both acting like they can't. Like there was just this uh, it was kind of embarrassing, just this sort of like it's a it's a clearly a good idea to do that. And very literally uh, like interesting in terms of a narrative. But it's not something that you're like, you're not putting a man on the moon coming up with that sort of plot line. You know what I mean? It's 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 that weird thing
1: yeah it's it's uh that's one of the most interesting things about um creating stuff like that is when it gets into the hands of other people who are then it's their prerogative as as to how they um digest it and and see what they want to see and what they think are allusions to things that are just ideas that popped into your head while you're having a tuna fish sandwich or yeah. whatever
0: yeah or just um an inference that you didn't the, the creator didn't consciously make it all there is no there is right. no intent behind it it just kind of works out that way yeah
1: i used to listen to a uh, a doctor who podcast that was hosted by three like doctor who mega fan types who had seen everything yep and every episode of the new show there would be like two things where there would be like that. Of course, the use of the fact that he was wearing a red tie has to be a reference to the the skulls of the skulls of Ulnar from season three in nineteen seventy five. Right. I'm like, yeah. I don't know if that's true. Maybe honestly, Doctor Who, who knows? Maybe, but I I'm gonna say probably not. Probably I think he not. just look good in a red tie. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I I had heard one time. Ray Bradbury was was talking to a uh, like a college class or something and everyone was like yeah you know Fahrenheit Fahrenheit 451 is such a a, an important text on on censorship and he's like it's not about censorship it's about how much I think TV sucks
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yeah. I read Fahrenheit recently, and I was, un- mm. I was less impressed with it uh, oh, really? than I was in high school. I loved schooler. that book.
1: Yeah, I, that was my favorite book in high school. I, I haven't read it probably since then, but I loved that book.
0: Yeah, it, it inverted for me. I, I did not like 1984 in high school, and I mm. liked Fahrenheit, but now it's the opposite, I think, when I read them both fairly recently. Like, 1984 is just clearly a better book that fahrenheit I, is
1: when you said it inverted for me i was like oh so you're on the side
0: of the book burners this I am, time around yes i, I understand that sometimes <laughs> you have to heat your house and that books have to be the first thing to go that's it i guess the horse can come is over and done with we've talked about it we are up to the season finale in our next episode which is called what is it called it's called like the boy oh, i put the book it was boy. the It was
1: the best of times. It was the hearst of times. (laughs) The
0: hearst of times. I think it's The Boy the Earth Talks To is the name of the episode. So thank you for listening. Yeah, Boy the Earth Talks To. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. Support us there. A couple extra bucks gets you all this extra content. There's a whole bunch of podcasts about movies and et cetera and et cetera and et cetera. We'll probably do a Western once uh, season three is done and put that on Patreon since we'll That'll probably take a break between the end of the series and the start of the movie to give us a, a little taste of what it felt like to wait 15 years for the movie to come out mm. and see if we can forget things a little bit
1: in the meantime. I have, I have a feeling that if, of among the choices that we give them, if one of them is a John Wayne movie, yep. that one's going to win only because people know I have thoughts about John thoughts Wayne. about
0: John Wayne. <laughs> John, I just know Public, uh, public Enemy. What, uh, now What's, I can't remember the line. What does it say? Mother racist, uh, motherfuck him and John Wayne. Uh, yeah, motherfucker. Uh, yeah, Elvis was racist, uh, simple and plain. Um, that's it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh,
1: check out the Rotten Horror Picture Show. Amanda and I on Patreon this year are doing films from the Video Nasties list. July is a movie called The Bay of Blood, which is an Italian. G- well it's kind of a it, it it it's a giallo movie that came out right before the giallo boom and actually like the middle of it is literally just friday the 13th sure. and so it's this weird proto movie that kind of has been lost a little bit uh as far as most people are concerned um but if you if you watch it it's like the it's 1971 so it's five it's three years before texas chainsaw and black christmas yep it's uh almost 10 years before friday the 13th it's like six or seven years before halloween and it's basically just doing all the slasher tropes you could possibly think of so it's an interesting watch and it has one of the more batshit crazy endings i've ever seen (laughs) so that's going to be a fun one to talk about and uh sean and i just did the flash on patreon for badass and uh there is a new comic that i wrote called batman What's it called batman white knight presents generation joker number three is on the shelves right now written by myself and sean and katana collins so if you check that out be much obliged
0: absolutely thanks everybody for listening to something pretty this is our deadwood podcast We're almost done with the second season. We only have 12 episodes after the next episode. We only have a little bit left of the show. boy, It's been short. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. Leave some comments, Join the Discord, all that stuff. And we will be uh, back next week with the boy the Earth talks to. See ya.
2: Let me ask you something. You think you're giving me a treat, drooling on my fucking nuts, because I happen not to enjoy it
0: sorry
2: it's a strange fucking sensation distracts me from my heart on fucking caskets bring out the dunce in the entire fucking community i took some fucking beating after my brother's fucking funeral smacks coming from every fucking angle I'm still dizzy from the smack from the left, here comes the smack from the right. Brain can't bounce around fast enough. Headache I fucking had for three fucking weeks. Fuck fault is it of mine if my fucking brother croaks, ain't even my fucking brother. Fucking people take me in, I didn't ask him to fucking take me in. (laughs) Fucking flopping like a fish on the dock. My brother the perch. Fucking fallen sickness. Let the old man beat you because he's sad. He has his load on. I did better than the orphanage. That fat ass Mrs. Anderson hadn't turned out a fucking pimp. Anyways. How was the funeral? Did you carry on? Disgrace yourself? No. Everyone was sad, I expect. But it was pretty, too. Shut up.
4: You dye your hair?